to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Hey, we're carrying on in our series in Matthew today, the um, Gospel of Matthew. Uh, but first, a story from the Middle East, just for your enjoyment. For a Jordanian woman, to have a son is social status. But to have identical twin boys was so special that Amelia would tell everyone she met all about them. And you can imagine just how proud she was when both of the boys graduated from uni with a degree. She'd even introduce them to strangers. She'd say, come meet my boys, Amal and Muhammad. Next person, same thing. This is Amal, this is Muhammad. And uh, so one day they're in a crowded market, you know, and, um, and Amal sort of, you know, got a little bit distracted in the crowd and got a bit separated just when mum was meeting an old friend. And um, she hadn't seen this friend for years and she said, you remember Muhammad? To which her friend replied, how could I forget? But where's his brother? And the, t- the twins' mum responded, hey, if you have seen one, you've seen Amal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I thought I'd just, I wrote pause, <laughs> I wrote pause in the notes for hectic laughter, yeah, so <laughs> good to have a laugh, eh, good to have a laugh. We've got two sets of brothers in our reading today, but they weren't twins as far as we know, and um, personality-wise, you couldn't say if you've seen one, you've seen a all. The disciples Jesus chose were really quite an eclectic bunch of very ordinary, random guys. And in terms of the usual requirements that a rabbi would look for when choosing disciples, they, they really fell well short. And it's easy to forget just how, how Jewish Jesus was. His parents were devout Jews. But they held no real status in society that honoured the Pharisees and other teachers of the law. So you could say that they were working class tradies. As the oldest son, Jesus would have been expected to take on the family business and provide for his widowed mother for the rest of her life and his sisters at least until they were married. This is just a little bit of background to this reading today. Jesus honoured his parents and he worked faithfully in his trade. We think for around, you know, 15 to 20 years uh, as a boy he would have started. At about 30, we know he was baptised. And he fulfilled the law and every custom, and this is important, until the time came to fulfil given by his heavenly father, his heavenly calling. Not that the other was any less. He was still full-time for God as a carpenter. But the calling changed. There's a new calling. That foundation is important because in his day, there were many would-be disciple-makers bent on changing the system. Uh, I think some of us don't know that it wasn't just a one-off when Jesus 
called his disciples. There were many other would-be disciple makers. And it was not uncommon for young men to be asked to follow and learn from a new leader in Jewish society. Many of these would-be rabbis were not sound in doctrine or character, and they had selfish motives. They wanted power and position. Is it any different today, perhaps? So with that background, you can understand why the Pharisees had a kind of professional jealousy towards untrained leaders at the time Jesus came along, and why young men would be eager to challenge a broken system. They were under the Roman uh, authorities. It was a broken system for many young men. So with the scene set, let's turn uh, to Matthew chapter 4, and let's read verse 17 to 25. This is carrying on from where Mark stopped last week. So verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Wow, so much in those few verses. As a kid, hearing about the calling of the disciples, I couldn't believe the instant response from both sets of brothers. I was kind of, I was raised to finish the job, you know, to stick to something until it was done. I was taught with every privilege there is responsibility. To me, it just seemed reckless to stop and drop and go, you know. In verse 22, it even says that James and John's father Zebedee was left virtually holding the boat. Some versions say ship. It may have been quite a big enterprise. And it sounds like a metaphor to me of poor old Zebedee carrying the can. <laughs> and even now, I, I, I often find myself being the last one to lock up at night and leave work. But as we dig a bit deeper, we discover that what on the surface seemed irresponsible by these four young men was a significant God moment in history that had an unseen glory to it and a reward that would far outlive their fishing, fishing career. 
And that choice these guys made would change history forever. So these, these four working class young men were called and in one moment of radical obedience, they set a course for world transformation. And we know a little later that in time, Peter's revelation of who Christ was caused Jesus to say, upon this rock, not Peter, the revelation that Peter had, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter, well done for that revelation. These God-appointed encounters on the beach at Lake Galilee set in motion the greatest move of God in history. And I believe the Spirit of God would have been preparing their hearts in advance. As a kid, I didn't really know much about that, but he knows even today those who are willing to help change the world. Does this inspire you? Does anybody, is anyone excited? What is it about Jesus that instantly draws disciples then and now? What is it about Jesus? Has he captivated your life to be called by God to your calling, your ministry? The keys really are in the first part of the chapter that Mark unpacked last week. Uh, simply, you know, like as, as a well-respected, responsible carpenter, Jesus wouldn't have had any hope of attracting these tough, worldly-minded fishermen. But as the Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the encounter with John the Baptist, the, the call of God on his life, he reflected now God's image and character in a whole new way. I love the scene in the movie called Son of God, where Jesus calls Peter, and there's this awesome moment where Jesus says, um, or Peter says, what do we do now? And, and Jesus says, we're going to change the world. It's just, you have to be there. Peter, Peter became a co-worker of Almighty God that day. What a day. What a moment. What a moment. There's moments in our life, isn't there, where we can say yes or no. In that moment, Peter made a decision. He became a co-worker of Almighty God. When we respond to the call of God, our mission is no less significant now as it was on the beach that day. Isn't that awesome? It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead who calls us now. Confronted with a man that had never sinned, never thought a wrong thought, or a single lie, filled with the Holy Spirit, asking them to become co-laborers in a kingdom that never heard of. These four fishermen left everything. Won't it be wonderful to look into the face of Jesus one day for firsthand, face to face? How would we respond? Have you said yes to Jesus? Call on your life to follow him and to co-labor with him. I've had calls on my life, and I've pushed them back, pushed them back, 
pushed them back and finally God used some words on a screen in a concert in Christchurch to really hit my heart. I said the keys of, to Jesus' irresistibility are here in this chapter. So let's have a look at these keys today. Number one, total surrender of body, soul, and spirit. Matthew 4, verse 1. Let's just quickly read it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Total surrender. Man, when you meet someone who's totally surrendered, it's powerful. Jesus left everything he was familiar with to enter this new phase of ministry. He left family, customers, workers, security of income, a support network, a roof, food, and friends to go into the unknown. But he knew Father God would provide. He fasted in a wilderness full of danger, and at his lowest moment, humanly speaking, he encountered evil in the worst form, Satan himself offering a tempting short-term solution. I'm just covering a little bit of Mark's message last week, but as Mark said last week, each thing he was offered would have satisfied short-term needs, but was really a counterfeit for the longer-term plans of Father God. Fasting is really a spiritual act that informs the physical, it's a spiritual act that informs the physical body that it is not in charge. When we fast, we are telling the flesh it's not going to get what it wants right now. Fasting is an act of worship. Paul calls this dying to self or crucifying the old nature. The quicker we die to self, the quicker we get resurrected. Hallelujah. Jenny and I went to Australia a couple of years after we were married to attend Jenny's pen pal's wedding, about 400k north of Brisbane. But we just thought it'd be cool. It was my first OE, my first time ever overseas. We just thought it'd be cool to go through Sydney first. And then we thought it'd be really cool to do a 17-hour Greyhound bus trip right up through to Brisbane with two-inch padding on the seats. <laughs> we thought we'd see the sights, but it was in the middle of the night. <laughs> it was the longest night of our lives. But anyway, we started in Sydney, and uh, we flew in there, and for whatever reason, we happened to be staying in King's Cross. Now, if you don't know Sydney, that is like the dodgiest part of Sydney. Anyway, we had a, a room about two, maybe three stories up. And, uh, and as you do, you need to eat. And uh, we went out for some food down onto the street. And, uh, and oh my goodness, there was everything you could ever want to eat. And really, as we looked around, Everything in that place was geared to satisfying the flesh. And I mean everything. 
And, uh, you know, it was a pretty scary time. We didn't even feel safe, really, but we held each other's hand really tight, got our food and got home. <laughs> and um, why am I telling this story? Because in a world fixated on gaining material things and constantly seeking happiness, now in this world, even considering the crucified life seems crazy. But at the same time, to the humble of heart, it is incredibly attractive. People who have totally surrendered and have actually chosen to crucify self are incredibly attractive. There is beauty. There is much beauty in suffering. Number two. Jesus heralded in a new kingdom. Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some, some even say is here. To the Jewish nation, the kingdom of God was a future promise. They believed Messiah would bring about this kingdom when he came in power and glory, you know, and as John first and then Jesus said, repent for the kingdom is near, they were still thinking it would be a visible, physical kingdom overthrowing all their enemies. They went miles into the desert to hear a man covered in hair saying, repent. He was totally surrendered to God. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. They still thought it was a kingdom coming to overcome the Romans. They had no thought that a suffering refugee come carpenter from Nazareth, born in a stable to freshly married parents, could possibly be the one to bring peace, let alone this wonderful new kingdom. They had no idea. They had no idea there would be an overlap of time where the kingdom of, was here and now brought to earth by the king of kings himself existing alongside the present evil age. They thought one would stop and another one would start. See, Jesus just threw them by being born a baby and growing up and introducing an, a, a kingdom that still existed along with this present age of evil. See, the age to come to the Jewish mindset was a physical removal of evil and enemies. The Feast of Tabernacle, still celebrated even now each September, is where Jews expectantly look for the coming Messiah to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. This is the center of their hope. But to a Christian, the age to come is when the same Jesus, who has already come as a servant, will return as a warrior king to judge and fully redeem the earth and receive all who believe and follow him. This upside-down kingdom that Jesus brought about is where the least become the greatest, 
where the first will become the last and the last first. It's where the way up is the way down and where, where to gain one's life, we must first lose it. And we've got this sign in the prayer room that I look at often and I know loose isn't quite spelt right, but that's okay. <laughs> if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give of your life for the, for the what is it? For me, you will find it. I'll leave that there. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that attractive to other people? When we lose our life for others, when we gladly give up our rights, our gladly our, you know, our luxuries, for some it's time, for some it's money, for some it's possessions, but we give those for others in this kingdom. Number three, finally, Jesus' words. If we look at verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That statement is an incredibly captivating statement. In one command, he sows vision, purpose, and hope. There's no greater thrill, for me anyway, than bringing a person to Christ. This can't be measured by man's standards. There's no spreadsheet that can mark and measure its value. There's no kilograms per hectare or achievement pie graphs or profit and loss results in this kingdom. It is, this, is simply the privilege to obey and co-labor with the King of Kings. And mostly it is the invisible work of the Holy Spirit. And I love how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. It's quite handy when one of your Bibles is falling apart, you only have to bring one page. For momentary... Light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look at the things that are not seen, sorry, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Wow. Jesus' example of obedience, his kingdom values, and his invitation to follow still captivates my heart today. Does it reach out and captivate yours too? I'm going to read into verse 5. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens you see are you living for and looking to the unseen things of the spirit today are or are or, or are you mostly concerned with the visible stuff we can see hear touch taste and hold on to paul reminds us that those things are temporary everything we can measure is temporary 
but the unseen things of the Spirit are eternal. I love that Matthew 4 verse 1 starts with surrender in the wilderness that is unseen by others and ends with this barrage of people coming even across the Jordan to hear Jesus with changed lives that is still the fruit of obedience. But it's just a little more evident. I don't know if you caught that. Obedience led Jesus to do something that was not seen. And, he, and obedience led him to do something which was very much seen. I just think the disciples said yes to Jesus in between those times. I think that's cool. I checked it in, May, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark. It's the same. The disciples said yes to Jesus when they, he was a nobody. He wasn't even known. The disciples said yes to Jesus in between surrender and success. Whatever season of life we are in today, my encouragement is to let's, cliche, hang in there and desire to be part of this upside-down kingdom that offers hope through the words of Jesus. Follow me and I will make you. It's he who does the making, not us. But only if we allow him to. He still respects our personhood, our choices. Let's allow him to firstly make us disciples and then fishers of men today. Amen. Father God, we thank you that your message inspired and captivated thousands, but mostly we thank you for those 12 that followed you walked with you, talked with you, and gained your heart, gained your heart for this world, and Lord, they changed the world. Lord, thank you that we too can respond today. Thank you that we can right now in this moment respond to you, surrender, live a life where we crucify the old self and be raised to a new hope, a new life, and we thank you for your words that they carry power and plans and, and vision and hope and future for us. And Lord, we just thank you. We couldn't be involved in anything more important. We thank you for the eternal weight of glory that Jesus gained on the cross. We thank you for the eternal things that we're sowing here in Huntley. We thank you for the eternal seed that was you know, is spread every, every time we open your word and preach your gospel. We thank you for this upside-down kingdom that says that we have to go down to go up, that when we give away, we get more. Thank you for that, this life. Thank you for this wonderful new life. We can live in you, led by your spirit daily. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.